According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in the book of Proverbs. And this morning, we're going to get our first look at Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs 14. There are 35 verses in this chapter, and uh, I doubt we'll get past verse 1. <laughs> no, no, we could do 1 through 3. We're going to handle verses 1 through 3 as a unit, so we'll see how that goes. It is a poetic structure uh, that serves uh, as an inclusio, that serves to uh, provide a, a unit of study in those three verses. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord. In his uprightness fears the Lord. But he who is devious in his ways despises him. Uh, in the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back, or is a rod of pride. But the lips of the wise will protect them. All right, so that's verses 1 through 3. Uh, we'll take that as a unit. Verse 4 stands by itself. And then uh, verses 5 through 7 are a unit. Uh, verse 4 says, where, there, where no oxen are, the manger is clean. You know, if you can have a brand new spanking new barn and it's spotless. It's because you haven't put an ox in there yet. But much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. So, uh, yeah, work is dirty. And that's uh, maybe a good, uh, a good Bible verse for, uh, um, who's that guy? Mike Rowe does those dirty jobs that uh, other people don't like to do. But anyway. Much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. And so, uh, yeah, we'll have some fun with that. It's a good verse that supports capitalism. <laughs> All right, before we get started, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer. Let's call upon the Father and His faithfulness to open the eyes of our understanding. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing we have this morning to assemble together. We thank you for your faithfulness day by day, moment by moment, Father, including this moment. Here we are in your faithfulness, by your grace, Father, to study, to show ourselves approved. We thank you for this provision and we call upon your faithfulness now to hedge us about, protect us, um, hinder anyone that would want to come in here and stop what we're doing or bring us to harm. Father, uh, and bless the time in your word. We need the teaching ministry of God the Holy Spirit and, uh, and you have promised to provide. So here we are, Father. Feed us your truth. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Alrighty, so we start with an inclusio. Chapter 14 begins with a three-verse inclusio. And uh, an inclusio is, a, is a, a Latin expression, but it Basically, I like calling it the sandwich construction because you start with a top loaf of bread, you got a bottom loaf of bread, a slice of bread, and then you in the middle is where the meat is in the in the sandwich. And so that's what we have here. We have the opening in verse one, the bottom slice of bread is verse three, and then uh, in the middle we have the contrast between uh, fearing the Lord and despising the Lord, and that's uh, definitive for husbands, for wives, for anybody when it comes to our application. So chapter 14 begins with a three-verse inclusio. We've had others too, by the way, and uh, we've tried to spotlight them. If you're visual, I thought this might help as we put it up there. Uh, maybe you can't see that. Um, but in verse 1 you got wise followed by foolish, right? 
the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. In verse 3, it's reversed. You've got foolish, then wise. In the mouth of the foolish, and that would be the foolish man, okay, is a rod either for his back or a rod of pride. I think it's, uh, we're going to talk about being prideful there in verse 3. But the lips of the wise, that is the wise man, will protect them. And so uh, that's the reverse. It's the same thing in the Hebrew, whether you're looking at Chachma and uh, Ewell or Eweleth. Uh, it's the same thing uh, there. So that's, that's the, the picture then that shows the inclusio, that shows you've got the pattern of wise and foolish in verse 1, foolish and wise in verse 3. Same thing uh, whether you're reading it in the uh, English or in the Hebrew. And so then in the middle is the verse that forms the meat of the sandwich, right? That's, that's uh, you know, it's not the top bun or the bottom bun, it's the, it's the, the beef patty in between that where, you know, all that goodness is. And uh, that's what we have here in verse 2. Alright, so we have the wise woman, we have the wise man, the foolish woman, the foolish man, and in between is the contrast, whether it's the fear of the Lord or despising the Lord. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his way, in his ways, despises him. And that's the emphasis we will handle there. Alright. We start with wives. Women, wives, and mothers. because it's a householding context. Wives and mothers are either constructive or destructive. (laughs) All right? You can either be in a construction mode or a destruction mode. And uh, and could be the same woman in in either instance, just depending on the day, (laughs) depending on uh, whether her eyes are on the Lord or not. Wives and mothers are either constructive or destructive to the household that they manage. And the word for house can reference the, the lumber, the construction, or it can reference the people, the, uh, the household, we like to say. And so we use that expression, and I'm going to use it consistently here, because the building of the house, for, uh, for the housewife, the building of the house is not pounding nails and, and construction, and, and, and we're not talking about the actual uh, you know, erection of an edifice. We're talking about the nurturing of the family. We're talking about the spiritual nurturing. That's what building is. That's what edifying is. And in this context, that's what we're dealing with. And so you could think of house or you can think of household uh, just as fine with, uh, with this Hebrew vocabulary that we're looking at. And so uh, what is it going to be on a day-to-day basis? Okay, And then of course with consistency over time, a year-to-year basis, a, a lifetime basis in the process of raising up the next generation. How long does that take? Okay, uh, You notice you bring them home from the hospital and you're not launching them in their own generation the next day. It takes the upbringing and the nurturing. Okay, In large respects, humanity is unique among that it's compared to animals, you know, or you kick them out of the nest and, and things of that nature. Uh, but the idea of preparing the next generation on an adult basis spiritually to stand before the Lord in your, in your generation that, uh, that takes time. And mothers are a huge part of that, all right? Uh, for building up in ways that fathers cannot, in the, in the nurturing, in the building up, and the edifying in ways that fathers cannot. Fathers have a different function. And we're going to see that in verse 3 uh, with, with pride and with protection, okay? We don't want the pride, but we want the protection. Same thing with women. We don't want the tear down, we want the building up, 
That's what we want there in, in verse 1. And so uh, we have a string of passages, I think, that support this, both on the construction side and the destruction, uh, destruction side, and uh, examples throughout the Old Testament, I think, are significant as well. And so clearly uh, we have a, a concept here that's going to get expanded where? Proverbs 31, right? Here we just have a verse. <laughs> here we have a verse that introduces the idea and uh, that the, the woman of the house, uh, and by the way, why, why are you called a housewife? Did you marry the, the, the lumber? <laughs> you know? uh, that, that expression housewife, okay? You know, you're, you're a husband wife, you married a husband. Okay? But the, the, the building you live in, whether it's a mansion or a hut or whatever, a tent, nevertheless, it's the household. Okay? And are you the wife of the entire household? Or are you the wife just of the, of the husband? Okay? And, and this is it's an idiom that comes into common use and yet because of the reality of how God designed it, I think it's, it's powerful. I think it's, it's very, a very useful expression. Because what is the impact when, when the woman is, is, is out of wisdom, when the woman is, is, is the woman of folly, when, uh, when the woman is abandoning the Word of God, when the woman is just going off and getting weird and doing whatever? Okay? So it, destroys, it blows up the marriage, it ruins the children, it, it just explodes everything. Okay? As far as that goes, plus the economy of the household and the budget and, and uh, just everything else. And, then, and even in... in in modern times where we don't have the extended, you know, in the, in the biblical times, of course, it would include slaves, it would include servants, it would include the, the, uh, the animals and, and a much larger household than, than typically we're accustomed to today. But the, the damage that gets done is powerful when, uh, or it's, it's tremendous when that gets off kilter. All right, so let's look at uh, Proverbs 31, and I'm sure you've, you've probably been exposed to this in the past. Proverbs 31 is not an obscure text and uh, one that I'm sure you've seen repeatedly many, many times. Verses 10 through 31. The neat thing about this in the Hebrew is that it's alphabetical. It's an acrostic. And so like Psalm 118, like other acrostics in the Bible, you have a verse that starts with Aleph, a verse that starts with Beth, a verse that starts with Gimel. And if you're a little Hebrew girl growing up and you know your, your Aleph, Beth, Gimels, uh, then you can just think your way through Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, Hey, Wow, Zion, Hey, Faith. You work your way through the Hebrew alphabet and it's the jog to your scripture memory. And it's a way to remember each of these verses. So, an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. And this right away sets the pattern for what the rest of the uh, chapter is going to detail is how valuable she is. You can't put a price on it. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. That's kind of interesting since we were just <laughs> in Philippians, uh, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Well, this is a different kind of gain. The heart of her husband trusts in her. And this, this is the, the, the huge thing with marriage. When trust is broken, what have you done? <laughs> How does a marriage survive when the trust is broken? It's hard. Okay, You've got to rebuild it. You gotta, sometimes it's gone you've got to Start from scratch and rebuild that trust. Anyway, so as we look through these, take every verse, because they're all positive, right? But then ask the corollary, what if? If the woman of wisdom departs from wisdom and becomes the woman of folly, 
like we studied in chapter 8, chapter 9, uh, like we're seeing in chapter 14 and verse 1, because there's the wise woman and the fool. Just take the opposite of every one of these verses and you see what a train wreck it is. So the woman of folly, everybody can find, and what's her worth? Less than jewels, worth, worse, worse than worthless. Okay, The heart of her husband trusts in her, except the woman of folly. Does the heart of her husband trust in the woman of folly? No, how can he? She's, she's a woman of folly. Who would trust that? And uh, he will have, for the woman of folly, he will have no lack of suffering, la- loss of gain. Loss, not gain, but loss. Okay, Verse 12, on the positive side, the woman of wisdom, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. On the negative side, the woman of folly does him evil and not good every miserable rotten day. <laughs> okay? And uh, I'm not reading into this. I'm just, uh, we'll, we'll demonstrate this. Uh, the, the Proverbs itself teaches it on a very blunt basis. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. Whereas the woman of folly, who knows what she's looking for? Well, we know what she's looking for. She's, she's roaming the streets looking for pethy, looking for the naive, looking for some you know, young stud she can have some fun with. And she's not looking for wool and flax. She's not looking for um, to work with her hands. Or if she does, it's certainly not with delight. It's with grumbling and it's weaponized. Look what I've done for you and now there you go. Uh, the good woman again, verse 14, the woman of wisdom. She is like merchant ships and brings her food from afar. Okay, And this is a positive thing. She is like merchant ships Sometimes girls laugh at that. Uh, not in, it's not a physical description of her size. It, it, she's, she is like merchant ships in that she goes to the ends of the earth. There is no limit she will not sail to to bring back the product that, uh, that she needs, bringing her food from afar. Okay? Uh, whereas the, the, folly, the woman of folly, how far will she go? Nowhere. Not even across the street. That's too far. What have you done for me lately? Um, I mean, she might go that far, but it's not to bring anything back. It's because she's got her own wandering feet and uh, instability there. All right, verse 15. So what is this? All of faith, gimel, daleth, hey, wow, Zion. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her households and portions to her maidens. And so she's up early. She has... uh, daughters and servants and maidens and any other uh, young women that are attached to her, ladies-in-waiting. You know, the whole point is is that purity is nurtured uh, among the younger women by the older married women that have the the perspective to to watch out. That's why you have a maid of honor or a maiden of honor, a matron of honor, and uh, the whole tradition there with respect to that. Um, and, And so when do you squeeze in time for that kind of thing? How do you, how do, you uh, do your morning devotions and your prayers and your scripture memory and your, uh, and your encouragement to these young maidens? Well, you get started right away. Rising while it is still night as opposed to the woman of folly who is probably still hungover from the night before and may even not be sure what bed she's even in when she's waking up. Alright. Uh, verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. Notice the economic activity that she has, all under her husband's purview, all under his, his uh, permission and his blessing. 
And of course he gives her blessing for this because he's blessed by this. And then this is part of that trust. She trusts him, he trusts her. She considers a field and she buys it in her own considerations, in her own estimations. She's not um, trampled. She's not uh, a, a doormat and doesn't need his permission for this field. It was her consideration. She bought the field. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. It's her investment based on her real estate purchase. All right. And again, flip it to the foolish woman who's got other economic priorities. <laughs> All right. Uh, verse 17, she girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Whereas the woman of folly, on the other hand, is not doing this. And um, whatever she might gird herself with and activities there. All right. Well, we saw that. We saw that, the woman of folly and what she was dressed with and the enticing and the things there. Um, verse 18, she senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. One of the most amazing things to me is that the Bible provides for us what it is that um, the, the, the woman's soul is designed to appreciate. All right? Because we have, God has designed us this way. God Himself designs this way. God, God has taste. God has senses. senses all right? There are matters, there are aspects of, of, uh, of, of, of us in the image of God whereby we have capacity to appreciate goodness. All right? And we can differentiate between beautiful and ugly, smells great, smells bad, tastes great, tastes bad. We have senses of, of taste and appreciation. And she senses that her gain is good. She, in other words, she has a satisfaction. And think about the woman of folly. What satisfies her? Nothing. Even when she gets what she wants. Um, sin does not satisfy. And we've seen that again and again. We've seen that in Proverbs. We've seen that um, didn't we see that we, at the end of chapter 13 with satisfaction? The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite but the stomach of the wicked is in need. They're, they're never satisfied. You could fill that stomach all day long every day and they'll never be satisfied. So anyway, here in 3118 we have a satisfaction in that she senses that her gain is good because she's serving the Lord. She's humble in the Word of God. She's fulfilling what, what the plan of God is uh, for her in her temporal life. And, um, and so that's a good thing. Um, don't let uh, human viewpoint step in and the, the message of this world step in and tell you that that's not good. Oh, that's so bad. Oh, you're so diminished. Oh, you could have been so much more. And the message of this world, of course, is that mothers and wives and, and the household duties are diminishing, that, that they have no value, that uh, you're not a real person until you've succeeded in, in uh, industry or in, in uh, the workplace or in whatever. And so uh, you, you, you're going to have it all and that's where you're going to have your satisfaction. And uh, it's curious to me the way the Bible describes these things and where, where the satisfaction is found and where the satisfaction is not found. All right. Because clearly she's engaged in commerce and she's engaged in business. We've already seen that. We're going to see more of that. But it doesn't come at the expense of her family. That's, uh, that's the consideration there. Uh, so she senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. 
So she was up early, before the sun rose, she's up late, after the sun's gone down, she's, her lamp is still going. Um, she stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. And, uh, and, and this is kind of interesting too because she wouldn't be able to do verse 19 if she hadn't done verse 13. You know, if she had not looked for the material, if she had not looked for the wool and the flax, if she had not, or verse 14, brought in things from afar. Um, so there's planning involved. There's stuff that's done early that then can't be done until later. And, uh, and prioritizing that. And, and you know, I'm preaching to a bunch of women here this morning. You know what I'm talking about. You know that you find time to do stuff. And then there's time to do this and then you're saving it for later because there's just no time right now. Well, later there'll be time. And so you find time later. And so you got the materials early and now you're actually weaving. And uh, for example, so she stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. Uh, verse 20, she extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. And uh, again, we're not just talking about domestic service. We're not talking about servitude and drudgery and whatever. We're talking about a mindset of a believer, a believing woman in the Word of God that is so grace-oriented, that is so shaped by the Word of God, that has con- uh, social concern here in, in uh, her community. And uh, She's uh, able to share, as it says here. Extending her hands, stretching out her hands. Um, she has an abundance because she's, so, she's been so productive. Verse 21, she is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. And, uh, <clears throat> anticipating the seasons, anticipating what's coming up, um, being ahead of the, the schedule, not behind the schedule. I've kind of skipped some of these and not flipped to the negative side, but you can do that on your own. Just go through each verse and plug the woman of folly in there. And and uh, all right, verse twenty-two. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. The woman of folly, though, uh, not interested in that. Um, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So. Uh, you know, and you think about what gives value to the husband. What's he known for? See, and this, this too, I think, misses the mark. And this is where a lot of times modern feminism has, has put a poison pill in a lot of marriages and a lot of households. Because it started with a premise that's not necessarily true. In, in that, well, because what's the husband known for? What's, is he known for his is he known for his business achievements? Is he known for his military conquests? Is he known for his wealth? Is he known for his... What's he known for here? In this verse, he's known for her. He's known for her. Boaz is known not for his wealth or his fields or his wealth or whatever. He's known because Ruth is his wife. <laughs> wow. Okay. Her husband is known in the gates. Because of her. Wow. When he sits among the elders of the land. And that's, uh, that's a positive thing. He's known for her. He's known, uh, in other words, her role as wife and mother, her fear of the Lord, her blessings and benefits to her household. She's not tearing down her household. She's building up her household. And so when her husband meets with the other elders in the gates, what do you think the benefit is? 
Oh, it's huge. Okay. And maybe we, we lose this because we're not in the ancient world and, and we're kind of alien to, to a lot of this. But um, put yourself in the ancient world and in the marketplace. Okay. Who do you want to do business deals with? Who do you want to uh, partake in ventures with? And, and um, you know, uh, who, do, who do you want to arrange your, your children's uh, marriages with? Okay. If I'm, if I'm looking for a daughter for my son, well, I want, I want a girl that was raised by this lady, right? I want a girl that grew up in this house with, with this woman of excellence. See. And by the way, the woman of excellence, that's the chayil terminology that's normally used when it's used of men, it's used of, of uh, mighty men of valor. It's used of, of the David's champions that would kill lions and giants and, and the, the mighty man of valor. The same vocabulary, the chayil vocabulary, is applied to the woman here in this chapter. This is how a woman becomes a, a chayil. This is how a woman becomes a Samson or a Gideon or a David or a giant slayer or a, or a uh, you know, putting armies to flight kind of uh, chayil. This is it. So her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So what do you think the husband of the woman of folly is known for? <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. All right. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them, supplies belts to the tradesmen. And again, just like buying the field and, and investing the profits. And here she also has the uh, economic endeavors here as well for uh, uh, the making of garments and, and belts. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She smiles at the future. What about the woman of folly? She's not even thinking about the future. The woman of the folly is just today, tonight. Where's the next party? And, uh, you know, the future is someday, someday later, someday later, someday later. And, and we're going to have fun now, we're going to have fun now, we're going to have fun now. We're going to have fun all through our 20s, all through our 30s, and then, ooh, now we've got to panic real quick and try to, try to hop on marriage somehow because we're going to have it all. Anyway, it's just heartbreaking to me. The uh, damage has been done generationally uh, for 50 years and longer. Um, there's a whole lot of not smiling of the future that I see in our day and age, and that's unfortunate. Uh, verse 26, she opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Again, she's not neglecting Bible class, not neglecting her Bible devotions, not neglecting uh, the, the things that she has to teach to her children and to her maidens. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Again, this is the wise woman, the one that builds up her house, that edifies her household. As opposed to the woman of folly, all she's looking at is herself. And it's nothing but idleness. <laughs> okay? It's this, uh, this idleness followed by that idleness, followed by the other idleness, followed by the other idleness. While, um, you know, some schmuck's paying for it. And, uh, there it is. Verse 27, her children rise up and bless her. Not the woman of folly, of course, but the woman of wisdom. Her husband also. And he praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. 
And this is what it comes down to. Her character is what he's attracted to. Not, uh, not uh, you know, sometimes it gets twisted to say, well, he only loves her because of how he's profiting. No, the heart of her, go back to the very first beginning, the heart of her husband trusts in her. And uh, that trust, how do you put a dollar on that a dollar sign on that trust? But you excel them all. And it's about nobility. Have done nobly. And uh, we just, you know, if, 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 if this is alien to us, the idea of the ancient world, the idea of arranged marriages, the idea of um, linking families together socially and economically and, and the, the way the clans would interact, the idea that bringing shame to the clan, so much of this is alien to our culture. Um, we, we were talking about legitimacy versus illegitimacy, okay? Huge in the ancient world. Ignored today. Um, likewise, acting nobly, doing nobly. What, what is nobility in, in, in today's culture? Oh my goodness. Today's culture is nothing but one degradation after the next, after the next, after the next. But what is fitting, what is proper, what is noble, what is excellent, and uh, and this is a a woman of excellence and uh, of the daughters who do nobly, and so you have, uh, you know, you have standards and you have um, propriety, and that is just so totally lost nowadays. If a Christian girl or a Christian young man stands and says, "Well, you know, this is my standard," you're mocked and ridiculed and and like a like a um, oh, they they have different names. You're a, Bible thumping Puritan judgmental kook or something, you know, because come on, it's fun, everybody does it. And what kind of weirdo are you? Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, and it can hide a lot, <laughs> you know. Um, and it doesn't last. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Okay, so that just gets more and more beautiful every year, every decade gets more and more beautiful. The, the physical appearance, well, that's a different story. <laughs> but the, the, uh, the uh, I'm going to get in trouble this morning, but I'll just stop and drink my coffee. <laughs> Let me rethink how I'm going to phrase this. Anyway, um, the fear of the Lord gets more and more beautiful with each passing decade. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So this, I tell you, this, this passage, this whole thing obliterates modern feminism. This whole thing uh, portrays the value, the esteem, the worth, the productivity, the glory for Jesus Christ, all of this in uh, the design. Okay, And only the woman can fulfill this function. Only the woman builds a, you know, builds a home of peace and tranquility and comfort and love and belonging and, and uh, to exalt the Word of God and to, to memorize the Scriptures. Okay? It's the woman that's going to foster that, not the man. The man will set the example and the man will enforce the, the discipline and the man will have that standard of, uh, of protection versus pride uh, if he's doing his role right. And we'll get to the men in verse 3. Okay? Because verse 3 is the corollary to verse 1. And oftentimes it doesn't come out in, in the English, but it is the corollary to verse 1. 
And so the man has his role in the household as well. But he can't do what the woman does. Or if he tries, it's going to fall short. She can't do what the man does. And so many are trying, but she's not designed to do that. And so uh, anyway, that's more of the insanity we're dealing with now. Heather has two mommies and whatever else. Ruth uh, 4.11. You want an example of this? The, the Proverbs 31 example is Ruth. Joshua judges Ruth. Why does Joshua judge Ruth? I don't know. Joshua judges Ruth. Alright, and we know the story. Um, this is in verse uh, 11 of chapter 4. This is kind of the happy ending at the end of the, of the story. Um, but Ruth had been widowed and it was necessary for a kinsman to, uh, to uh, under leverant marriage, uh, a kinsman had to take her as his wife and raise up a child in the name of the, uh, of the deceased brother or kinsman so that his line is not extinguished. And uh, there was another person closer than Boaz and he declined and so Boaz now has the uh, the blessing to be able to do this, and so um, Ruth four one uh, Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. The Goel, okay, the kinsman redeemer, was passing by. So he said, "Turn aside, friends, sit down here." Turned aside and sat down. He took ten men and the elders of the city. And said, sit down here. So they sat down. This is where business is conducted. This is at the gates. And the men are together now and they're going to they're gonna hash this out in full public view. So he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, had to sell, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. So he said, hey, sounds great. I like the land. I'll redeem it. Then Boaz said, oh, by the way, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. And this is where uh, the guy says, oh, well, I can't do that. And and. It's curious because he's commanded to and he chooses not to and it's a thing of great shame. So the closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Doesn't everybody have an excuse? You know? If it's the will of God, what are you jeopardizing? If it's the will of God um, and we learn this in grace principles of grace giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9 um, you, God does not allow you to suffer when you're in obedience to His plan. Anyway, redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. So this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the uh, exchange of land confirmed any, uh, to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal, gave it to another, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. So Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife 
in order to uh, raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from the brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. So, what's the response? Verse 11, all the people who were in the court and all the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. Now, it's the same word for building that we have in Proverbs 14.1. Alright? And so what are we talking about with these women in the construction business? <laughs> is, this, is this Rosie the Riveter? Who is this? Is she pounding nails? And, and more than just building her immediate household, what is she building? It goes beyond the immediate household. Rachel and Leah built the house of Israel. And of course they're the mothers of the most of the 12 tribes in that. But think about on a larger basis. Think about what, what you're doing, not just in building up the next generation of your individual household, but building up the next generation of the church of God. Building up the next generation of pastors and missionaries and evangelists and Bible teachers and givers and helpers and servers and, and administrators and, and all the next generation of the, of the church of God. And it's an awesome responsibility. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, though uh, the offspring are through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. And uh, isn't that an interesting story? Because you know that's not a happy story, actually, with with. Uh, the boys that, 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 were, that died and then Judah who thought that Tamar was a, a harlot and you know I mean it's just that's not a happy story but how did it turn out? Okay you know if you think about uh, David and Bathsheba that's not a good way to start a marriage okay? Don't commit adultery and then murder the woman's husband that's, that's not how you want to start a marriage okay? Or Judah and Tamar that's not how you want to start a, a marriage and, and start a family or uh, you know, Boaz and Ruth. Is that really an ideal way to start a marriage? We don't know what was, did Boaz have another wife? Was He's an older man. How did he have all this land? And, and we know her background as a Moabitess. Oh my goodness. Okay. And yet, the neat thing is, is when two believers are dedicated to uh, honoring God in their marriage, then however it started, hey, today and moving forward. Right? It's about today and moving forward. And these are, these, are, these are pure blessings being pronounced here. Anyway, I like that. How about Psalm 128? Psalm 128. This one's not as well known as uh, Proverbs 31, but it should be. Psalm 128, verses 1 through 6. It's the whole psalm. A psalm of ascents. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When uh, you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. So we have a, a, a combination here, right? We have a spiritual walk. You're fearing the Lord. You're, you're a believer that's focused on the things of the Lord and live in the Word of God and occupy with Christ. 
And what goes with that? What's supportive of that? What's in tandem with that? Your wife, your children, your family life, you want your, your home life to be a reflection of your positive volition to the Word of God. Um, Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. You know, there's going to be special blessings in eternity, of course. There's going to be inheritance and rewards and there's all kinds of things we're going to get at the judgment seat of Christ. But in the meantime, in the here and now, what are our special blessings in time? How about the uh, fruitful vine and the uh, olive plants that are uh, your wife and your children within your house and around your table? That's a blessing. That's a blessing, okay? It's not the ball and chain. It's the fruitful vine. And it's not, the, uh, it's not grumbling over the mouth to feed. Oh, another mouth to feed. No, it's an olive plant around your table. Okay? So all of these are described in positive terms. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed. And I need to look that up if that's Asherah or if that's Baraka. Because uh, that's either, uh, that could be a, a happy term like the Beatitudes. Of, uh, do you have that there, Lewis? Psalm 128, 4. It's Baraka? Okay, thanks. All right. So it's a Baraka blessing, not a Asherah blessing. That's good to know. Um, so for behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. What is it that causes a city to be prosperous? Families that are prosperous. Families that are honoring God. As goes the family, so goes the nation. So goes the you see there's a political benefit. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And uh, ultimately, of course, you want to train up. Uh, the children don't stay children. They grow, and then they go, and then they, uh, uh, they have their children. So anyway, there's the, there's the blessing. And do you not want to be preparing them to take their role in the next generation? Of course. If, uh, if they're not prepared to stand as adults in their own capacity, in their own, in their own generation, then, uh, then parents have not done what they're designed to do. And so seeing your children's children is, uh, is that. What was the bumper sticker? The um, grandchildren are the reward for not killing your children or something. I, I forget. It's, it's funny. But it's, uh, it's designed to be kind of a joke kind of a thing. That the reward you get for not killing your children is, is the grandchildren that you can then. Because um, it's work. It's hard work. It's tough. There's, there's trials. There's, especially in the adolescent years when they start to test their boundaries and they start to think they know better than you do. And uh, it's like that final, that final lap on the, on the race is the hardest one. And then, uh, and then you launch them forth. Okay? Anyway. So there's that. Sorry if I distracted things with a poor joke. All right. Um, now that's on the positive side. That's on the positive side. That's the constructive woman of wisdom. Then there's the destructive woman of folly. And uh, not only is it 14.1b that talks about that, talks about tearing down, 
The foolish tears it down with her own hands. She is the one responsible for the demolishing of this. It has all been torn apart and it's her hands that did it. So that's 14.1b. And uh, we've got other Proverbs that speak to this as well, including 19.13. A foolish son is destruction to his father, and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. The contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. Okay? It just doesn't stop. Drip, 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 drip. And when does it stop? Well, it stops when the foolish woman turns to wisdom, okay? It stops when, when uh, the Word of God is exalted and when uh, the, the soul is being transformed, okay? And by the way, who's responsible to wash that woman with the Word? See, we're not blaming, there you go, we're not blaming, okay? While, while so much of the damage is done and it is, it is the foolish woman that's achieving that, it's the husband that's supposed to be ministering the Word to wash that woman with the Word that's going to renew her thinking. Anyway, so the answer is you want to stop the dripping? <laughs> right? Men want to fix things? Okay. You've got to turn that foolish woman into a, world, a woman of wisdom. And it's going to be the Word of God that's going to do that. And uh, there you have it. Um, so, uh, Proverbs 21.9 and 19. It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Okay? Of course, hello, because the corner is probably all that's left if she's busy tearing it down. That woman of folly is tearing it down. And see, here's the thing, this man is letting it happen. He's letting it happen and he's just moving to to this corner and this corner and finally he's down to his last corner because that's the last bit of roof that's left. She's torn everything else down. What's he been doing this whole time? Why does he let it happen? Why doesn't he step up like Job and say, you speak like one of the foolish women speaks? Okay? And that's that's on the man. Um, Verse 19. It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. All right. So now it's on the basis, maybe I should have started with these. On the basis of these verses, then, you understand, this is, this is the Bible, okay? This is not, uh, you know, your misogynistic pastor, whatever. Pastor Bob hates women. Um, this is the Bible, okay? And the Bible is laying these things out there, and I'm not, I'm, I'm holding the men accountable. As I said, we're supposed to wash our wives with the word. It's the word of God that's going to turn the fool into the wisdom, the woman of wisdom. Um, but on the basis of these passages then, I feel very validated doing what we did a few minutes ago, going back to Proverbs 31, going verse by verse by verse, seeing the woman of excellence in each one, and then flipping it around to say, all right, what's the foolish woman do with this verse? I think that's absolutely valid exercise on the basis of uh, Proverbs 19, 13, 21, 9, 21, 19, even Proverbs 14, 1b. It's that woman of folly that's tearing down the house. Or go back to chapter 8 and see the woman of folly, or chapter 9 and see the woman of folly there. She's just instability personified. Roaming from place to place, looking for her next lover, looking for the next excitement. All right. Looking for the next ex-husband, as as they say. All right. 
Yeah, they, they, that's, anyway, get me off of that. Um, want an example of this? How about 1 Kings chapter 2? 1 Kings chapter 2. Now, we've got two examples here. There's Solomon's mother and then there's uh, Athaliah. They've got two mothers. And these are mothers that keep doing damage even after the boys are adult men. They keep doing damage. And Bathsheba should have known better. And, and these are two different examples here, and I find these interesting. 1 Kings chapter 2, Bathsheba should have known better, and I, I think she did know better. First Kings chapter 2, verses 19 and following. Because when I read, we highlighted this a lot in Proverbs chapter 1 through chapter 9. We highlighted it a lot. That every time he had those my son warnings and the my son pleadings about your father, about your mother, that was David and Bathsheba speaking. That was David and Bathsheba throughout Proverbs 1 through 9, those first nine chapters. You know, when I was tender and precious in the sight of my mother, that was Bathsheba. Okay? Solomon, in reflecting on his childhood, that was David and Bathsheba. And so I've got a lot of positive things about Bathsheba after the adultery. A lot of positive things about Bathsheba as they raised Solomon and Solomon's little brothers. They had additional children. But now at the death of David, when Solomon is on the throne, there's a problem. And, and Bathsheba, I think, overstepped and, um, and does so here. Uh, David dies in verse 10, and then one of the other half-brothers comes in, Adonijah comes in here, He's not Bathsheba's son, he's Haggith's son. And she doesn't know at first why he's here. You know, do you come peacefully? He said, I've come peacefully. Anyway, he's got he's working something. He wants to marry Abishag. And and he's gonna he's gonna which Abishag was the young virgin they used for keeping David warm at night. And um and and now that David's dead, um he wants Abishag to marry her. And 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 uh, that's a problem. That's a huge problem. Because if you're taking custody of the previous king's wife, that means uh, you're, you're making a claim on the throne. And uh, anyway, so Bathsheba agrees and says, okay, I'll go speak to, to Solomon for you. And uh, so he wants her to go to Solomon and, and arrange this. And so Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king arose to meet her, bowed before her, and sat on his throne. Then he had a throne set for the king's mother, and she sat on his right. Now that I don't have a problem with, and I think that's fine. Biblically speaking, that's fine. The queen mother, um, I don't think that's an issue. Solomon already has wisdom, and I don't think that's an unbiblical thing. I think he can honor his mother in that way, and, uh, and that's not a problem. I think uh, we, we see it in Babylon also. There's a queen mother to Belshazzar in, in, in Babylon. And the queen mother had a lot of wisdom that Belshazzar didn't have and she was the one that went and got Daniel to read the writing on the wall. So it can be a good thing to have a queen mother there for, for, uh, for advice. So she said, I'm making one small request of you, do not refuse me. And the king said to her, ask my mother for I will not refuse you. So she said, let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah your brother as a wife. <laughs> and so in verse 20 he said I won't refuse you but in 22 he's refusing Okay, he is immediately going to refuse this 
And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, And why are you asking Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him also the kingdom, for he's my older brother, even for him Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zerah. There's a whole conspiracy on this. Anyway, it is not going to happen. And uh, he says, uh, King Solomon swore by the Lord saying, May God do so to me and more also if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and set me on the throne of David my father, who has made me a house as he promised, surely Adonijah shall be put to death today. Okay? And so for all of her positive influence in his younger years and for all of the positive things she did, this is a mistake on her part. And he is not having any of it. Okay? And so that's curious. And so here is a, a king that is, uh, uh, while he respects his mother, when she's wrong, he tells her she's wrong. And, uh, and uh, he's going to be his own king and, and not be the mama's boy that uh, could otherwise be the case. All right. The positive, that's a good example. N- uh, another example. But see, you see how destructive that could be, though. She could have influenced him in this, and that would have launched a whole civil war with uh, Adonijah. Uh, how about another example? Second Chronicles 22.3. 2 Chronicles 22.3 uh, So the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his place for the band of men who came with the Arabs of the camp had slain all the older sons so Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. And Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. It's not a very long reign, is it? Uh, and his mother's name was Athaliah, uh-oh. Granddaughter of Omri, uh-oh. Okay. Do you know who Athaliah is? Granddaughter of Omri, daughter of Jezebel. Okay. Ahab and Jezebel in the north. And uh, why in the world did, uh, you know, the king in the south say, hey, you know, my son's going to be king after me. Why, don't, why doesn't he take your daughter to be his wife? Now, politically, would that make sense? Politically, hey, this might be, this is, this is what kings do. And, and my son's a prince and your daughter's a princess. And, and maybe we can bring the north and south back together again. Wouldn't that be sweet? And the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, and if the prince of Israel or the prince of Judah marries the princess of Israel, we can unite our houses together. No, you can poison your house because you're taking a daughter of Jezebel and giving this snake to your son. What are you doing? What are you doing? Okay. And sadly, it was the king before that that arranged that, and what a dumb thing to do. Anyway, and so he walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. He's not following after the example of David, his forefather, but Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. And she raised him that way from a boy to a, a, you know, a young man to a king, and she's still manipulating him even though he's king. She becomes his counselor to do wickedly. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to 
his destruction. You want to know why he only reigned a year? Because divine discipline sent him to death. That's all the father put up with. So he walked according to their counsel and went with Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel. He's going to go with his uh, cousin Jehoram here. Or I guess his brother-in-law. And uh, hey, let's go wage war against Hazael, king of Aram at Ramoth Gilead. Yeah, let's go to Ramoth Gilead. That sounds like a great idea. Well, wait a minute. God's already arranging an ambush at Ramoth Gilead. Okay. Anyway. Um, so the Arameans wounded Joram or Jehoram. So he returned to see. It gets on down. It gets really horrible. Um, Athalia is going to decide to become queen. <laughs> and uh, verse 10 of that chapter. When Athalia, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal offspring of the house of Judah. Uh, but Jehoshaphat, uh, Jehoshabeth, the king's daughter, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were being put to death and placed him in, and his nurse in the bedroom. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada the priest, for she was sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she would not put him to death. And he was hidden with them in the house of God six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. All right, so there you go. Wives and mothers are either constructive or destructive to the household that they manage. Uh, That's verse 1. We'll come back to verse 2 and verse 3 next week and cover those under points B and C. We're going to hit husbands and fathers pretty hard like we hit wives and mothers. Don't feel like Pastor Bob hates women. Always preaching to women. All right. Thank you, Father, for this day, for your truth, for your faithfulness. We uh, pray that you would open our eyes to to these uh, principles from Scripture. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.